inside a rough and ruthless newsroom, thousands of stories fight for the spotlight. Only a few survive past their 15 minutes of fame. So, what makes for a good headline, and what makes for a buried byline? Join us, two former TV news producers, as we dig up stories that never got the recognition or justice they deserve. This is Buried Bylines. Yay, I don't even know what episode this is at this is point. Six? Yes, it's six because last the last one No No seven because that was Ant Hill Kids Club. Yeah. And I had a note about that. So I really like the podcast, last podcast on the left. And I texted yes. you this, Mallory, but they have a really deep, deep, deep dive if you want all the like six hours. Details. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a three part series in their regular feed. Each episode is like two hours long. Well, I want to apologize for how stuffed up I am because I am the storyteller today and allergies are hitting me hard. They're real bad. Like, I just keep sniffing. Well, it's because people keep mowing their grass. I wonder if that was the catalyst. We mowed our lawn um, over the weekend. Probably. Today, I'm going to be talking about a hometown cold case. For me, from I'm my so hometown. Excited. I know. I told Megan immediately about this case when we started, like, concepting a podcast. It was one of the first ones you said you wanted to do. Yes, it is. And I'm finally glad that I can get into it because I know that it was, like, a really big deal for my small town. This story has honestly haunted me since I was about nine years old. I remember this case so vividly because it happened in my neighborhood that I lived in. In fact, the location where the victim's body was found was right across the street from one of my friend's houses that I used to go to all the time. Oh my god. I know. And I actually texted her to see, I was like, do you remember this happening? And do you like have any information about it? And she sent me two articles and I was like, shout out Lauren Hazlett. But the um, real MVP. (laughs) Yeah, it was Probably one of the first murder cases I had ever heard about growing up. So I've always kind of wondered why this case didn't blow up. And with that being said, I want to talk about the murder of 27-year-old Fuang Tran in Holt, Michigan. Okay, here we go. Right off the bat, I had a very hard time finding sources for this case. I actually had to deep dive into newspaper archives and kind of piece together my own timeline based on articles that were written, but I couldn't find any television news coverage, which is not to say that there wasn't any because I do believe that there was, but the only paper trail I could find was from the Lansing State Journal. Okay. From what I can tell, this case starts the way a lot of cases do, with the victim not showing up for work, which is like (laughs) a huge red flag that happens in a lot of missing persons cases. Is like unless you're a news producer. (laughs) Not gonna name names. Tran was a 27-year-old preparing to start an impressive career in the world of engineering. And that wasn't a surprise to anyone who knew him. Tran was the valedictorian of his class at Everett High School. His friends, family, and teachers all referred to him as smart, well-liked, and good-natured. After high school graduation, he decided to attend Michigan State University in order to stay close to his family. 
family. That's very common for my hometown. Like Holt is a suburb of Lansing. It's very close to Michigan State. A lot of people stay close to campus or go to Michigan State. Very common for that area. In the summer of 2005, Tran received his doctorate degree in chemical engineering from Michigan State. And on top of that, he secured a job at the Toyota Technical Center in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And that was a great opportunity for him because the Toyota Center was only about an hour away from his parents' house in Holt, which meant he could still visit them all the time and even stay with them on the weekends and stuff until he got on his feet. Perfect. And do free laundry. Yeah. That brings me to Tuesday, December 6th of 2005. Tran didn't show up for a second day in a row at the Toyota Center with him being a newer employee and not calling in either day. His manager found the behavior unusual and decided to call police and report Tran missing. Good for him because I feel like that doesn't happen often or soon enough. No, they're just like fired <laughs> i know and for like somebody who just started usually you'd be like oh they're a flake blah, blah, blah. yeah but this guy was on it yes so the ingham county sheriff's office was contacted and asked to do a welfare check at the tran household on houghton hollow drive it did not take long for police to stumble upon the crime scene which is horrifying You're not going to believe any of this, and you are also going to wonder why you have not heard of this before. Right. Parked in the driveway of the Tran household was a Lexus SUV, and inside was the body of a man who had been decapitated. Excuse me? (laughs) Yes. At first, police could not determine who the victim was, just because the- Yeah, and just because the car was parked in front of the trans house doesn't necessarily mean that it was bong. So Right, and you, you might get to this, but did he have ID on him? No, and I will get to that. Oh, God. Okay, yeah, go. and I read in early newspaper reports that police said that they were going to have to rely on fingerprint records to identify him. What the if he only, was in the system? I mean, he was born there so i feel like well, they like, would be able to run it I through something criminals i don't know what the system is here because like yeah I thought people couldn't find criminals unless they're in the system correct but if they have a suspicion that it's him they can find his birth record and match oh okay gotcha you know because gotcha, they gotcha. came there yeah. for a welfare check and the only way they could confirm that it might be him is if they did the fingerprints yeah, so they're either gonna records yeah yeah Okay. Well, they, they don't have dental records because there's oh, no wait. head. Oh, no. I forgot about that part. Yeah. So the only information they could release to the public was that the victim was a man of Vietnamese descent in his 20s. We, of course, now know that it was Huang Tran. Right, right. I can tell you right now that growing up in this small town, it was like the biggest news. And living in the same neighborhood where it happened was very chilling. Uh It was very creepy. Like, it was scary being a kid. I remember being scared and just being like, what the fuck? Yeah, and even I feel like walking past that house, you'd be like, that's where I decapitated. Like, what's going on here? What's happening? Like, why are we in danger? Yes. 
So Ingham County Lieutenant Jeff Joy described the homicide scene as bizarre. At the time, he said, quote, it's something in my 24-year career in law enforcement I've seen only one other time. What's the one other time? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I would like to know, sir. <laughs> yeah, it might have been like in a different city, but... No further um, details. Sorry. <laughs> investigators were quick to tell the community that they believed the victim was targeted and that this was not a random incident. In a way, I get that, but in a way, I don't. Yeah, because I know. It's and just such a specific crime. Just to drive you crazy, they also said that there was no threat to the public. I hate when they do that because it's like, how do you know? And how do you, how do we know that you know? Yeah, and I know that they're trying to incite panic. I know that they're trying to keep things calm and they don't want everyone to freak out. And maybe that's what they think. But I, to me, I'm like, how? Well, that's How do a you rumor slide? I bet in your neighborhood, all of the parents, that was all they talked about. And then false information gets spread around. Yes. And people fire themselves up. So I feel like in a case like that, where you find a headless man parked in a car in the middle of a neighborhood, you a need very, to be a more I will say it is it, at the time, the neighborhood was very new too. So they were brand new houses, yeah. pretty like upper middle class. It was a nice, Right. Yes, yes. Yeah. Because the cool. first thing I thought of was drugs, but that's just where my mind goes. Sure. To. But yeah. understandably in a new so. Neighborhood, I feel like that wouldn't be common. Like I mentioned before, just because police were sent to that address for a welfare check on Tran, they couldn't exactly connect any dots or answer any questions until they could ID the man in the SUV. Because, right. I mean, I'm just thinking of you don't know if. Tran was killed or if he killed someone you don't know he could have killed someone and then took off and now he's disappeared you don't you don't know anything that there's no fucking threat to the public dude right so identifying the body they had no idea if the victim lived in the home how long the body had been there etc police also were not able to immediately contact the homeowners because they were believed to be out of town so immediately after this happened there was just we don't know who this is we don't know and we don't know anything basically did they try to contact the homeowners they did try to contact the homeowners but they couldn't reach them and i'll get to that in a minute. Because the homeowners, for everyone following at home, for our moms listening, thank you. <laughs> it's his parents. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. About a week after the gruesome discovery, the body was officially identified through DNA to be that of Fong Tran. Police were quickly able to put some of the small pieces of the puzzle together. Tran was staying at his parents' house while they were out of town, taking an extended trip to Vietnam, which is why they were so hard to contact. Right. right. In an article published on December 14th, about a week later, Tran was positively ID'd to the public. So it was announced to everyone in a newspaper article that this was who the victim was. Police told local media there were no arrests in the case. They also refused to comment on a possible motive, but did rule out the possibility that the crime was gang-related. That's wild to me because to me it seems very gang-related. They were somehow able to determine that, and I'm sure that's maybe what a lot of people were thinking or talking right, about. Or drug and so, or the mob. I don't. Yeah, know they shit. they nipped that shit in the bud. Okay. Um, well, at least they did that. The most chilling revelation of the news article, though, 
was that detectives had not recovered Tran's head. Well, I mean, they obviously removed it to slow police down, I would assume. Yeah. Identifying him. It definitely hindered the case, for sure. It's understandable that Tran's family was shocked when they got the news of their son's murder. Mm -hmm. Their parents wanted to keep their privacy and not talk to the media, but a cousin told the Lansing State Journal that the family had no idea who could have done this. Juan Tran said, quote, we're not scared, but at the same time, we do know someone out there did this. Our hope is that authorities will find out who that person is. He went on to say that it was the manner of death that they really could not grasp. If he had died any other way, that was more natural. Maybe we could have accepted that. But to go this way, it's very difficult. This is not something you hear every day. And the family is trying to get over that as best as they can. Right. Not only are you dealing with your family member's death, you're dealing with he got his fucking head cut off. It's brutal. It's brutal. And it's crazy. And like, you have to think, was it staged? Did it happen in the car? Not to uh, ruin anything for you, but police have never revealed any information about any of that. Awesome. I wonder if we could file a, what's that, FOIA? A FOIA? Well, technically journalists. (laughs) I did find the initial police report that was taken when Mm -hmm. they found his body, but a lot of it is redacted. Great. So I don't really know. And that was after it was FOIA'd, so they just aren't releasing that information to the public. That's frustrating. Yeah. Two days after those heart-wrenching quotes were published, the smallest sliver of hope showed up in the form of a crime brief. So that's not quite a full story, but more of like a print follow-up that you'd find like on the side of a newspaper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The brief revealed that police were searching a home on the corner of St. Joseph and West Streets in Lansing in connection to trans murder. Officials would not say what led them to the home, but Lieutenant Joy told LSJ that police have suspects that they're looking at. Okay. Which seems good, right? Like, they have... Yeah, but... They're on a trail. Now that you've said they've never released anything, I'm like, okay, they didn't find this fucker. Uh. At the same time, the official cause of death was still undetermined. The Ingham County Medical Examiner's Office and Michigan State Police Crime Lab were working together on forensic testing to try and determine how Tran died and if he was still alive when the beheading took place. So they were basically, (laughs) yeah, they're basically trying to figure out how, like, if he was maybe like beaten and then they cut his head off or shot and then you know something like that um but those kinds of testing and analysis take weeks and weeks to complete so i saw it mentioned in this one article and then not really picked back up after that great Police would not reveal any details to the public. They would not say if they found weapons in the car or the home or whether there were any visible wounds on Tran's body. Investigators admitted to the media that they were being evasive. 
But like we've said before, that was only to preserve the investigation. Officials told media this is an ongoing case and giving out specific details could cripple their case. So they're trying to preserve the investigation, which is understandable. They clearly had some sort of lead and did not feel like the public needed to be involved. Yeah, I get that then. But I mean, how many years has it been now? So this happened in 2005. So almost 20 years. Okay. At this point, I feel like you got to give us something. I feel like, so uh, you and I are very big fans of True Crime Obsessed and the I Think Not pod. So I'm like, do we pull in Ellen and call the police department? Well, please hold. I didn't call, but I did shoot a message to someone that I know that works at the police department. Girl, that's amazing. <laughs> You'll have to keep us updated. I am telling you, I exhausted all of my resources on this case. Oh, amazing. I'm so proud of you. Thank you. <laughs> also, my husband is now deciding at 830 at night to mow our grass. So I'm sorry if you hear that. Stop. That's such a brat thing to do. It is such a brat thing to do. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) So about a month after the crime happened, in January of 2006, police told the public that trans case could be resolved soon. In another crime brief, Detective Sergeant Roy Holiday said, quote, this case is coming along very well and we do have suspects. Holiday would not speculate on how much longer the investigation would last, saying they still have some holes they need to plug. And then nothing else for more than two months. Great. But they're working, you know, as far as we know, they're working on the case and they can't say anything and they're just giving a little update that says it's coming along very well. Good point. Which is more than most police. That's true. Will even give so. Or they're trying to get somebody to slip up because they're like, oh, my God, what information do you have if it's going this well? That is a tactic. Absolutely. (laughs) A tactic that is. (laughs) (laughs) Was it used here? Not quite sure. (laughs) Two months later, on April 5th, 2006, Ingham County Sheriff's deputies were called to conduct searches along the banks of the Grand River near Eaton Rapids, which is about 20 minutes from the Tran family home. This was after a human skull was found in the area. The discovery brought hope and a sense of closure to the community who desperately prayed that that skull was the last remaining piece of Fuang. Ma'am. Are you about to tell me that this skull belonged to somebody else? Officials described the skull as bleached, indicating it had been there for a long time. They said the skull was completely void of any tissue and hair, adding that the jaw was found about 10 feet away from the rest of the skull. So you would think that maybe this is the missing puzzle piece, right? You would well, hope that the- Reflecting on that description of the skull, we should have known that it wasn't because this this is only four months after and the type of decaying in tissue and hair and the appearance of the skull would would not be as barren great so we have a body without a head and a head without a body and correct ding 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 Great. So That's when I feel like your community would be like, what the fuck is happening here? 
Forensic testing found the skull belonged to a man named Leon Ward Lockwood. In an article about the discovery, Tran was mentioned, stating that his case was still open mm-hmm. and that his head was still nowhere to be found. Yeah. Yeah, you kind of have to mention that. It's really hard. I had a hard time reading through some of this and just being like, how does something like this happen? I know. And did they, didn't, I mean, did anybody expand on this, the guy whose skull that was? I did not read any articles into that man just because the article that I read was very cut and dry of like this was who DNA linked it to this man and it's not Tran and it kind of just moved on this is where coverage of the case starts to fall off which is pretty shocking to me for a small town and a small market the only other article I could find mentioning Tran was at the end of December in 2016 there was a long form piece about multiple mid-Michigan families waiting for justice and in that article it's mentioned that the Tran family wants to maintain their privacy it once again mentions that police are quote getting close to solving the case but at the time the article was published there were no charges filed and no suspects announced by name to the public the article itself even says the case was dropped out of the spotlight shortly after police announced they searched that home in Lansing and they kind of said like we're in the right direction and then it seems like coverage just kind of fell off after that okay but fam you said that like 11 years ago so (laughs) it's hard to trust what you say to me yeah and honestly I could not find any articles with his name in it nothing recent which is pretty shocking to me um not even follow-ups or or anything like that the case I mean I've not been able to find a single update since 2006. No arrests have been made, and his head has still never been found. That's crazy. I mean, I think they had to have buried it or chucked it in the river. Or something. like Or something. Yeah, but maybe the 2006, so in 2026, that'll be the 20-year anniversary. Yeah. Right? So maybe they'll do something, like the media, or maybe make that something we your head a little bit just reminding them hey this happened um you might yeah. want to follow it just to get it some light that's what they need all these cases it's just people to remind media that hey this happened and it's still unsolved and it's still important well I have I some notes that might make you feel differently <laughs> oh god oh god yeah I reached out to a family friend who is a police officer in the mid-Michigan area to mm-hmm. see if there were any updates in the case that I may have missed or were not covered by local media. And he told me that the case is still open. Police have deemed it a cold case and there is still one detective that communicates with the family trying to get information. But unfortunately, that was all he could provide me with. Great. Yeah. This case reminds me a little bit of the Naja Farrell case that we covered. The narrative yeah. feels very similar in that the case also, I thought that in that case, they were trying to send a message with her foot. And mm-hmm. in this case, with it being a beheading, it feels more personal and even yeah. like more of a strong message that was being yeah. sent. It seems senseless because we don't know anything. And 
I don't know if the parents do, if English is their first language or not. I don't know either. That could be a barrier too between them and police and them and media. Yeah. I was able to find a few Reddit threads about this case and I wanted to kind of read them just to see what people were thinking, even if it holds no credibility or weight. Right. Um, Like we said in the first episode, never trust. Don't trust the Reddit threads. But read it because it could be interesting. <laughs> I just wanted to see what people were kind of thinking. Right. And a lot of people believe that the family was involved just because of how personal the killing was. But nobody could really provide a motive right. to back that up. Like, it was they put a hit out on their son. I know. It was more leaning into the culture of Vietnamese people and like traditional family values kind of insinuating that maybe he was doing something that wasn't reflecting well on the family maybe but I feel like I mean it seemed like he had a good relationship with them if he was like living with them kind of yeah that's I don't know seems like a little bit of a stretch for me but I mean it is a possible motive and we have not gotten one yet Yeah. The sad part here is I really don't know if we will ever know what happened to Tran or who killed him. If it was a family member, I find it incredibly unlikely that they will rat themselves out or anyone else in the family. That's true. It's just so heartbreaking to me because it seemed like he had a really bright future that was Mm -hmm. just getting started. And a smart kid. Yeah. It sounds dumb to say, but there are obviously way better ways to solve conflict and address issues than murder period (laughs) and decapitation Uh uh-huh when it comes to coverage i truly don't know why this case did not blow up nationally the only thing i can think of is that the family was very persistent on maintaining their privacy and if families aren't pushing for their case Mm -hmm. it's not really going to get pushed for because there's no one pushing for justice offering interviews it really is shocking to me that national news didn't want to pick up on this the fact that a headless body was found in a car parked in in a a driveway in a neighborhood is beyond spooky and crazy but i can tell you that this case has become a local lore in whole in -hmm. the whole in lansing area everyone that i grew up with that lives in that neighborhood immediately remembers it they know exactly how do you not especially as a kid like something Mm -hmm. like that happening can be very traumatizing to just be like oh my god someone that lives in my neighborhood was be not just murdered beheaded yeah they don't know where his head is to just to even say today they still do not know where his head is right and if that happened today it would be all over the place yeah and even the police officer i talked to he was like that is a crucial part in solving this case and we don't have that evidence we don't know where his head is we don't know if we'll ever find it at this point and that is like a huge piece of evidence that they don't have. That's crazy. I'm literally about to call up there and be like, can I talk to detective whoever is on this case, please? I know, I know. It's really crazy. I just like wanted to deep dive into it because I think I still think about it all the time Mm -hmm. and from people that I've talked to like I said growing up like they still think about it and I hadn't heard any updates or anything like that and I really do think that, like, without the family participating and pushing for coverage, it just, like, Mm -hmm. fell off. 
as something that happened and they just it feels like they came to the conclusion that they're never gonna get answers and so they just swept it under the rug which is fucked up right and because no matter what this kid did he didn't deserve to be beheaded absolutely not that's what i'm saying like if it was like you said if it was drug related or gang related or whatever else like you can go to rehab if you do something bad and you get arrested like you go to jail you don't have to be murdered right it's just oh uh. it's so crazy i put a little thing in at the end just to say if you live in Hull or the Lansing area I know that there are a lot of people from my hometown that support our podcast which I greatly appreciate thank you if you know anything or if someone you know knows anything that could potentially help solve this case and bring justice to Tran please call the Ingham County Sheriff's Office that number is 517-676-2431 yeah and even if you don't have any information just asking about it might drum up some interest again i mean it might it's it's approaching in 2005 december of 2005 it will be 20 years it's quicker than you think we're 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 one third of the way through 2023 already so media loves their anniversaries so this could be i mean it is definitely a talking point yeah like you can Anything you can do to get media's attention, do it. If you say, hey, the anniversary's coming up, or hey, I grew up in this town, I'd be willing to talk about it. It's something that I think about a lot, and it's still unsolved. Did you know this happened? That brings me to my next point, is there is a ton of turnover in newsrooms right now. So chances are, there are like journalists one or two people that who are, have never that heard of this. There. Right. There's like one or two veterans that remember it, and then everybody else is new. So if they've yeah. never heard of it, they can't Especially cover it. Especially so. in a market like Lansing, it's so mm-hmm. small. It's basically like a funnel for college students oh, from Michigan a to a yeah, starter market for sure. Sometimes when I think about like the news that we covered and I actually felt like as much as like there was so much crime in Indy that it almost felt mm-hmm. like it was hard to keep up with. I was so impressed by reporters who kept tabs about certain cases that were unsolved. I mean, we had a whole franchise that was like Indie Unsolved, and we focused on cases that were unsolved and trying to get closure for these families. And I just don't think that markets like that have the resources to pour into something investigative journalism or pushing Mm -hmm. for cold cases um or the people the people that are behind the scenes our our assignment desk at the place we worked at we had a ton of veteran journalists that kept close tabs on anniversaries and oh remember this happened we should probably do a follow-up on that so i think with a starter market you just get a lot of college kids who of course are just starting out and they don't really know quite how to navigate a newsroom yet so you can't just jump in and be like I want to cover this 15 year old cold case I remember having a notepad you were um, good at keeping tabs on shit. Uh, 
I had a notepad, one of those super classic flip over journalist notepads that you take, yeah, yeah, that you take notes on. And I had a list of things that had happened since Mm -hmm. I started there, really big things. I mean, shortly after I started was the Noblesville shooting. So the school shooting. So Mm -hmm. I wrote that down and then it was just a list. And then every once in a while, I'd like open it up and be like, what's coming up to try to keep tabs on stuff which is kind of twisted when I think about it as someone who's not in news that is not a normal thing to do but it was helpful it's important yeah Yeah. helpful and then media producers journalists whatever love content so the more content we can get the better so if you keep tabs on old stories that's an easy follow that you can do it's also really nice to have dates written down because for us (laughs) One of the hardest things about producing the morning show is this is going to sound so stupid, but the fucking day of the week, because we would Uh, come in on like a Tuesday night and produce for Wednesday morning. And sometimes I'd be like, what day is it? When did this happen? Did it happen Tuesday night or did it happen Monday? Right, because Tuesday night is our Wednesday. Yes. And so stuff like that, like keeping dates and Mm -hmm. and things in order, because when crime happens and it happens at 3 a.m. on a Tuesday, in my head, I'm going to be like, oh, that happened Monday night, but really yep. it was 3 a.m. on Tuesday and mm-hmm. things can get jumbled so easily. Yeah. So having the dates and times are essential. Keeping Absolutely. Tabs on stuff for sure. And I think not enough people do that nowadays. I see fewer and fewer follow stories, to be honest. Oh, yeah. Well, that also just comes with the fact that the news industry is hemorrhaging people who... <laughs> Yep. Who have experience and yeah. know how it's to do their job. Because it's really an important well. job, but I mean, it does burn you out pretty quick. And I think one of the biggest reasons I got out of news is just you're surrounded by the bad so often. And producing during COVID and producing during an impeachment and producing during those wildfires, it gets it's like it every day. Yeah. yeah. There's a house fire or a mm-hmm. hurricane or, or a, a tornado or a school shooting yeah. or who freaking knows what. But it just after four year, four or five years of doing that every single day, it can really wear on the mental. Yeah. And that's why a we lot. are. and here we are and now you have a podcast so you're welcome true crime podcast so you can listen to our deranged dark humor (laughs) because we always said you laugh or you cry (laughs) you laugh or you cry honest to god put it on a t-shirt well good job thank you so much you're investigative journalist Oh, I did. I got a subscription to, like, news archives. That's going to be very helpful. That being said, if you guys have any stories that happened in your hometown that you are just like, I heard this happen when I was little and now I've heard nothing about it. How did this not blow up? Send it to us. We will love suggestions. We want to bring light to as many stories as we can. I know we might have a smaller audience, but hopefully we grow that and then we can help bring light to more of these stories to more people. That's our end goal. As former journalists, we want to give credit where credit is due. For this episode, I got my information from the Lansing State Journal, the Michigan State Police, and the Ingham County Sheriff's Office. You can find a complete list of our sources in the show notes. Please make sure you check them out. Bye! Like, there's a delay because we're waiting for the other person to say it first. It's I thought it was great. I thought it was fabulous.